Well, welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. We spend a lot of time discussing the ideas of science, intelligent design, and all that kind of stuff on this show. Uh, and so it's fun when new books come out on this topic. And that's what we're actually going to be discussing today and how the maker, God, makes the most sense of the world around us. Melissa Kane Travis has recently come out back in July with a new book called Science and the Mind of the Maker, What the Conversation Between Faith and Science Reveals About God. Now, Melissa serves as assistant professor of Christian apologetics at Houston Baptist University. Uh, she's the author of the book that I just mentioned, along with uh, Young Defenders Apologetic Storybook Series. How do we know God is really there? How do we know God created life? How do we know Jesus is alive? How do we know that we? Uh, how do we know right from wrong? Um, she's contributed to the Christian Research Journal uh, and written for the Christian um, for the Women column on the Christianity Today website, uh, and also pursuing a PhD in humanities, focusing on the history and philosophy related to scientific and mathematical thought in Western tradition. Um, she also has a Master's of Arts in Science in Religion uh, from Biola University. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, no, uh, I, it was a mouthful getting out your Ph.D. studies uh, right there. A Ph.D. in Humanities focusing on the history and philosophy related to scientific and mathematical thought. What exactly is that? Yeah, that is a mouthful, right? So when I did my master's degree at Biola in Science and Religion, I became utterly fascinated with the intellectual history that plays into this great conversation between the sciences and Christendom. And so I knew I wanted to do a PhD that would allow me to really explore the different disciplines that kind of feed into this one discipline, this umbrella subject that we call science and religion or science and faith. So my dissertation research is focused very specifically on a key idea about the conversation of science and faith that was held by the great Johannes Kepler, one of the giants of the scientific revolution. So I, I will spend a, a lot of time delving into the different roots of his ideas and then I'll go forward from the scientific revolution to talk about how our best scientific evidence in the areas of physics and cosmology actually work to help affirm the natural theology that was held by Johannes Kepler centuries ago. So it has an apologetics bent to it, but it's also very rich in history and philosophy uh, and then I go into some of the physics and astronomy. Physics and astronomy is not my background. I did my undergrad degree in biology, um, but I do love to talk and write about it, and I'll get to do that a little bit. But by and large, I guess you could say my main interest overall in all the different kinds of research and writing that I do is this amazing fact that the physical universe is comprehensible to mankind. And there's so many great theistic implications that can be drawn out of that. Yeah. And so, man, so you got the, your master's in science and religion, which is kind of like the sister program to my master's in apologetics from Biola. Um, what has, what kind of led you into philosophies of science and math uh, and apologetics? Well, as I said a minute ago, my background is actually in the biological sciences. And after I finished my undergraduate degree, I entered the field known as biotechnology. I did pharmaceutical research for a company here local to me in the Woodlands, Texas. And 
it was my first time after growing up in what people would probably call a Christian bubble, because I was a cradle Christian. For the first okay. time, I'm in this environment where I'm interacting with extraordinarily intelligent people who don't all share my worldview. And obviously, in the biotechnology setting, there were a lot of skeptics who had scientific reasons for their skepticism about Christianity in particular, or maybe religion in general. So over those five years that I spent in that particular work environment, I had lots and lots and lots of conversations with coworkers about science and faith. And what God taught me through those conversations is that my answers were gravely insufficient to really make a difference in the thinking of the people that I most wanted to influence for the glory of God. And that led me down a path of a lot of self-study. I became a stay-at-home mom um, and left the secular workforce at one point, did more self-study. And then when my second son reached toddlerhood, I started feeling the call into formal education so that I could do more than just occasionally lead a study at my church or yeah. or whatever. So that's kind of my path in a nutshell. And would you uh, say then that after the self-study and everything that you've done, that really there are good answers for the objections that were raised while you were in the secular kind of work area of the biotechnologies? Yes, Far better than I could have even imagined, in fact. Awesome. Awesome. Now, as I mentioned here at the very beginning, you also are the author of a children's series, the Young Defenders Apologetic Storybook Series. Uh, what was it that led you to write uh, a children's apologetic series? It never even crossed my mind after I started my graduate studies at Biola. What happened was my older son began asking very, for a child, very deep and thoughtful questions about the truth of Christianity when he was only seven years old. He blindsided me, basically. And his first question out of the starting gate was, hey, mom, how do we know all this stuff in the Bible isn't just made up like my storybooks? How do we know that God is real? And I started thinking about that and couldn't let go of the fact that my seven-year-old was asking these kind of questions. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I had been at Biola for about a year by that time. And I was able to give him some answers in very simple kid language. But I went on to write a blog post about this conversation with my son. And the response was, just overwhelming all the emails that flooded in from moms and dads and grandparents as well, who had been in similar situations with their children or grandchildren, but were caught up short and had no idea how to even begin to answer those sorts of questions for themselves, much less translate them to their children and grandchildren. And that put a seed in my head about the need for apologetics communicated at an elementary school level, but in a way that was entertaining and attractive to a child. And that gave yeah. the idea of telling stories with cute characters and fun illustrations, um, but didactic stories. Um, and each one 
communicates a different argument for the existence of God. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always surprised when people, uh, when I tell them that I teach apologetics to high schoolers, they're like, wow, to high school? That seems early. It's like, no, this should be happening much, much sooner. Um, and so you're saying that your your child even brought up, you know, questions at seven. Now, is there something that parents could do to, to uh, help their children think about this? Should they be helping their kids think about these things or just don't bring it up unless they do it? You know, it really depends on the child. I often hear stories from parents who have children as young as four or five years old questioning whether or not this Bible story they heard in Sunday school could possibly be true. So, of course, when you're caught in a situation like that, it's time to start. But children who seem to have just an utter trust about everything that they're taught at home and church, and maybe they even go to Christian school and they're not hearing any objections. Um, you don't necessarily have to start bringing up hardcore apologetics arguments, as I would call them, um, but it's never, ever too early to start communicating to your child that the Christian faith is a reasonable thing, and that can be done through teaching them some apologetics arguments. But what I'm saying is that's not necessarily the only way to go about it if your child isn't asking the really hard questions yet. Um, But I think that it's very important to, from the earliest age that you can, um, communicate to them that Christianity is true and the things in the Bible are real and they actually happened and so on and so forth so that they don't start compartmentalizing um, what they're learning about Christianity from all the other things that they're learning, and they come to see it as this weird dichotomy. Yeah, that's a great point. Just, yeah, helping them see, look, the, these stories actually took place, rather than helping, than just allowing them to put them into the same category as the, uh, you know, the fun stories that they just read while at home. Right. Um, now, so I first met you at the Women in Apologetics Conference, um, and I know that you were also uh, a contributing writer for the women's column in Christianity Today. Uh, what is it going on in this kind of this movement or whatever you want to call it uh, with the growth in women in apologetics? It's such an interesting season uh, right now in the world of apologetics because women doing apologetics is not a new phenomenon, but we're seeing a very definite explosion of women in the field just over, I'd say, the past five to ten years, maybe. Um, And that's very exciting to me because I've met so many women, both before I started formal education in this area and ever since then, who have deep down been very interested in learning about how we know Christianity is true and how we can have confidence that what we believe is reasonable. And yet they've seen apologetics as something that, to be sure, it would go over their heads. And they're pleasantly surprised and highly encouraged when they see women working in the field giving conference lectures that they can actually understand, recommending books that are accessible to them. Um, In my case, I talk about science. And so when I'm able to tell a woman who has had um, doubts about how to reconcile science and faith that there are books out there that she doesn't have to have a degree in the sciences to understand, 
um, it's very exciting for them. And I just imagine the the domino ramifications that happen when you can equip a mom um, to defend her faith and to feel confident in her faith and then to go on and teach that confidence to her children as well. So I think it's an exciting thing, not just for women in the church, but it, it's an exciting thing particularly for mothers because we're equipping mothers to make a huge impact on the next generation. And I love what Jay Warner Wallace kind of says about that in the sense of that parents should really be the first apologist in the child's life uh, rather than just buying them books or whatever, that the parents should be educated to know that, including the mothers. And I think that's great. Yeah, I I listened to your uh, I was there for your talk on science and faith uh, at the conference. I think I was about one of five guys there. Um, <laughs> it, it was open to men and women, but only women were presenting, which is really cool. Um, but I just knew that I was like, wow, that's, it was just so well how you put, uh, the information and explain stuff. I knew I wanted to have you on the show. So, uh, for those listening, there's going to be, there's going to be another conference, I believe again, this January at Biola University. So you can check that out. Um, so we are going to be talking about your book, Science in the Mind of the Maker, but you know, kind of how you got into this and, and how you do apologetics as a mother, I think is also so important. And we do have uh, another so 45 minutes or so together because this is a two-part uh, episode. So kind of getting a little bit to the sciences, um, how would you respond to someone who says that science and faith are not compatible, that Christians you know, maybe need to try away from science? Well, the first thing I would ask them is what they mean by that. You know, is it that they believe Science makes truth claims that are directly opposed to the truth claims of Christianity. Um, and then if they say yes to that, I'd have them unpack that a little bit. Because nine times out of ten, when there's a perceived conflict, it's because at root of that belief, there's some grave misunderstanding. One thing that I always stress in my talks, no matter what branch of the sciences I'm talking about, I love to open with the point that when someone claims that there's a conflict between science and Christianity, about 99% of the time, this is a philosophical conflict, not scientific evidence against the truth of our faith. And the general public is largely unaware of this. So I'm passionate about educating the public on the warring philosophies that lead to this perception that Christianity and science are incompatible. I think that's great. You know, one of the first um, speaking engagements that I got was because uh, some students graduated from a high school, went off to college, started studying science. They came back and told the other high schoolers in the church youth group, uh, you can't be a scientist and a Christian at the same time. You have to pick one. Uh, and so I remember the church coming and saying, we need someone to address this issue. Uh, and and help them think about what you just mentioned of, of that science and faith are not contradictory, but they go together really well. Um, so kind of with that, so what advice would you give a, a high school or a college student who really wants to go into science, uh, but is maybe nervous of maybe the, the secular viewpoints or how it will kind of come against faith or people, you know, will have arguments against Christianity in it. I love this question. Um, and when I've had this question from parents before, they're usually very surprised by my response. Because I do not recommend that they try to arm their child with the so-called scientific arguments for Christianity as much as they need to really arm their child with an understanding of worldview 
and the philosophies that go into these popular perceptions about Christianity being anti-science. So um, worldview studies, very, very, very important. But also, I would, when a child expresses interest in going into a scientific field, we need to encourage that as strongly as we can. Because if there's anything that we need in the Christian community, it's more Christians who are well-grounded in their faith, have a great understanding of the harmony between Christianity and the sciences, and also have high-level degrees, especially in the natural sciences. Mm-hmm. That's a huge witness to the rest of the Christian community, but also to skeptics. Um, and so um, just to reiterate, I would say your child needs to have a very good grounding in the worldview, the philosophical issues that are at play in this particular conversation, and then they need to go off and be fantastic scientists for the glory of yeah. God. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I remember talking with Jeff Swerink once uh, with Reasons to Believe and saying, you know, does it matter, you know, that you're a Christian in, in you know, astrophysics? And, and he said, no, if, if you're a good scientist, they don't care. Right, <laughs> as right. long as you're doing good work and, and, and producing results, hey, then you're a good scientist and you can come work for us. Um, so what would you say then to maybe the, the church or maybe specifically youth pastors dealing with students uh, on how to address this topic? How can we help Christians in general get a better understanding of science and faith? You know, this is not a popular response <laughs> with <laughs> the youth pastors that I've talked with in the past. That's right. <laughs> but, but I feel pretty strongly that one of the things that's very important for them to do, if they are going to teach their teenagers on the topic of science and faith, they need to be willing to present all of the different views that fall on the creation spectrum in Orthodox Christianity rather than picking a pet view and teaching only that. I've seen through various apologetics ministries on college campuses um, the detrimental effects of a Christian student going off to college armed with one very narrow view about how things absolutely must be for science and Christianity to be in harmony with each other. And when that view gets challenged, they have nowhere else to go. And more often than not, unfortunately, it leads to a crisis of faith. And I've seen this over and over and over. I've heard so many stories from apologists working on secular college campuses who have had to deal with students in this kind of situation. So my best advice to those youth pastors out there is give them the range of views that are held within Orthodox Christianity, um, and then they're more likely to be able to wrestle through the tensions when they go off to college and they start hearing the secular side of the story. Yeah. So one question just kind of came in um, about does being a idea of being a good scientist apply even to fields like biology or sociology, maybe that you know, biology seems to go against Christianity and, you know, evolution or whatever. So I'm not clear on what exactly the question is. It sounds like what's being asked is um, when it comes to like biology, a, a lot of the evolutionary biology, biology seems to just go against Christianity. So how would someone be a, a good scientist uh, in biology when there's so much uh, maybe that's against Christianity? Can you look at evolutionary biology or that kind of thing and bring a different worldview perspective to it? 
Well, again, what we're talking about here is a philosophical conflict rather than a so-called science and faith conflict, because I think that the scientist studying evolutionary biology, who also happens to be a Christian, can very much look at that paradigm through a Christian lens and still do their job as a researcher without compromising what they believe ultimately to be true from their faith perspective. So just to be clear, I'm not endorsing the idea of theistic evolution, nor am I trying to undercut the idea of theistic evolution. I'm just saying that we can be good scientists, even in the fields that present the most tension in terms of understanding how to reconcile and harmonize like the Genesis account with the claims of evolutionary biology, we can still do good science and good research. And I would even suggest that someone in that position would be able to be an even greater witness for the kingdom. And one of the people that comes to my mind is Francis Collins. For example, now Francis Collins is a theistic evolutionist and I disagree with him on some things. But I also love that here's this brilliant scientist, arguably the highest ranking scientist in all of America, who's also um, a devoted evangelical Christian. And so I don't imagine a Christian who uh, takes a non-evolutionary view of creation desiring to go into evolutionary biology specifically. And so if they go into the biological sciences at all, then the conflict isn't there to begin with. If they're not, if evolutionary biology is not the specific area of their research or work or teaching or what have you. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the idea that like if you go into biology and you seem to take a, a stance against evolutionary biology, then it doesn't matter what you believe. They might say you're a bad scientist. Right. Uh, you know, and, and so that is kind of the conflict there. It's interesting so, because I actually I have um, associates who do not take an evolutionary view of creation. Yet that's the area they've chosen to get their graduate degree in. And I think that's wonderful because when they go on to um, write books or give lectures on why they believe the evolutionary paradigm um, isn't true, they have the credentials to help give more credit to what they're saying, which I think is great. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Jonathan McClatchy is one Christian apologist who has his master's in evolutionary biology or something of that sort. Yes, I think Um, that's Yeah. All right. So now getting to your book, we have about five minutes or so left in the show this week to kind of give an introduction and then we'll get into more of the content uh, in the next show. Um, So your book, Science in the Mind of the Maker, What the Conversation Between Faith and Science Reveals About God, uh, just came out in July. Um, Why write this book? Uh, What is the purpose of it? Well, it has several, but if I had to name my main hope for this book, it's that it would make the science and faith issues accessible to the average Joe and average Jane sitting in the church pew, the person who has questions about the compatibility of science and faith, but who may not have any background education in the sciences or background education in philosophy, biblical interpretation, things like that. I want to take the 
fear out of the conversation for those people in particular. Um, And I'm including the parents in that category, parents who fall into that camp. So what I attempted to do in the book was to basically give a good sound introduction to the various fields in the natural sciences that play into the science and faith conversation um, so that they could just get a good taste. And if this is the only book they ever read on the topic, then what I've done is I've at least armed them with some good arguments in each of those areas. So when they find themselves in conversations with their kids or they find themselves in conversations with a skeptical family member or a skeptical coworker, they at least have something reasonable to add to the conversation. Um, Unlike me, back before my graduate education, when I came up short and was humiliated on several occasions by not knowing what to say. So um, all in all, taking the fear out of the conversation, encouraging Christians that science is very much on our side because all truth is God's truth, um, and equipping them to be better evangelists. And my opinion is that you did a very good job at that. I, I, as I read through this whole book, I thought, wow, this is a great uh, introduction into the different uh, aspects and various um, studies of science, uh, as well as you went deep. I, I loved one part, and I was trying to find it here really quick, and I couldn't. But there's one part, I think, in the cosmology or something section where you just went, hey, if you don't understand any of that, that's okay. Here's what it's trying to say. And so you you got into the deep uh, specifics uh, for those that want that. But then if those people who were reading it and going, I have no idea what this is talking about, uh, you did a great job at summarizing it. And so I think uh, your purpose of trying to give an introduction, um, I think, came through very clear in this book. Thank you. And I also made the decision to have bullet points at the end of every single chapter. And it was kind of a what would I want in this type of book were I I in the shoes of my audience (laughs) decision? Um, And it's been great, all the feedback I've gotten from people who have specifically said, thank you so much for those end of chapter bullet points. They really helped me understand what I read. Yes. Absolutely. Those bullet points were very helpful. Uh, Now, so we have about two minutes left in this first part. Uh, Maybe if you could lay out what exactly is the maker thesis? That's kind of one of the themes that goes throughout each one of the chapters. Yes. So the maker thesis is the idea that we can look at diverse disciplines. We can look at biochemistry. We can look at astrophysics. We can look at earth sciences. Um, We can look at astronomy. uh, We can look at neurobiology, philosophy of mind, um, and philosophy of religion. We can look at all of these different disciplines, and we can make observations, and we can make arguments that all seem to be pointing to the same conclusion. And that's very significant. One of my intellectual heroes, G.K. Chesterton, who was also an intellectual hero of C.S. Lewis, by the way. Chesterton made this comment, and I include this in my closing chapter, that when you have evidence pointing to a theistic conclusion, and that evidence comes from lots of different areas that aren't related to each other, for example, astronomy and biochemistry. Those fields are not related to one another, 
but yet they're pointing beyond themselves to the same metaphysical conclusion. They're pointing to um, a transcendent intelligence behind nature. Then it's that much more compelling of a case than if all your evidence was just coming from one area and all the other disciplines uh, were basically neutral on the matter. And so my maker thesis is exactly that. Look at all of these different areas we have, um, sciences that seem to be pointing beyond themselves to something even more profound. Um, and my conclusion, obviously, is that they're pointing to a transcendent mind. They're pointing to the mind of the maker. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear what some of those things are while I've read them and talk to you about them uh, and hear how the Maker Thesis does make the most sense. But for right now, we're going to have to put a pause on this conversation. Uh, so, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me in uh, part one of discussing your book and, and your background and all the things that you're doing in, in ministry. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed part one of my discussion with Melissa Kane Travis on her new book, Science and the Mind of the Maker. Part two, focusing more on the book, will be next week, so don't miss it. Find more of what Melissa has done at melissatravis.com. Send in your questions or comments on this show at contactacoffeehousequestions.com, facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter at ryanpolly 3 or text them in at 714-989-6927. Share this episode with a friend. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Ryan Polly with Coffeehouse Questions. Don't hesitate to follow, your love will guide my way.